Hello and welcome to Simply Why. I am your host, Connor Reed. Simply Why is a podcast brought to you by Indiana Wesleyan University, where we do a deep dive into the stories behind our outcomes. Our guests share the choices that changed their lives, the paths that led them to where they are, and of course, the why at the heart of it all. Our guest today is Wendy Puffer. Wendy is a social designer and registered interior designer. She served as a professor of design at IWU for 21 years and co-founded Marion Design Co. in 2016, where she now serves as chief design officer, leading a multidisciplinary design team to create graphic design, interior design, and strategic planning, among many other things. Wendy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, let's just dig in with some hard-hitting questions right off the bat then. <laughs> Question number one, Bauhaus or Brutalism? Oh my goodness, that's a great question. I think I would always go toward Bauhaus uh, because I tend toward clean lines, negative space. Everything has intent, but it's very intentional. You know, Brutalist, what I appreciate about it is that you don't have to guess what it is. I love the bold statement of Brutalism. There's no question of what the goal for it is. And I love that it kind of decompresses or takes apart things so that you understand it a bit more. But I think I will always lean toward the Bauhaus era. Okay, question number two. Frank Lloyd Wright or Mies van der Rohe? I um, would tend toward Mies van der Rohe. I've seen his Farnsworth house. It's one of those things where when you're in the space, you feel a certain element that you cannot describe. And I love the simplicity that really all you see is glass and metal but its ability to draw the inside or outside in so that you feel like you've become a part of it is what makes it beautiful. And a lot of that element is because of the glass that he used for that building. It was a special tempered glass that had a certain crystalline component to it that elevated what the outside looked like as you stood inside the space. So I would definitely lean toward him. I've seen a lot more Frank Lloyd Wright houses, and I lived in Oak Park, Illinois, you know, his uh, kind of mecca. So I greatly appreciate his architecture, but I would lean toward Vanderbilt. Gotcha. Have you been to the Frank Lloyd Wright house in Marion? I have. In fact, I designed the um, guest house, and I've advised the, the owner as he worked on the kitchen renovations, you know, because all of Frank Lloyd Wright's kitchens were really small. He didn't really focus that much on the aesthetics of the kitchen because he didn't cook. So he just made it small because to him it wasn't that important. Uh, so I worked with the owner there and, and we redesigned it a little bit. But that was a really good time. That's awesome. That's such a cool story. So maybe if we could start off just by having you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are. I was originally born in Seoul, Korea. And was adopted at age 11 months. Um, I apparently lived with my mom for maybe the first six months. Uh, I have a Korean name, Lim Suk Young. And it's from that narrative of being adopted into a home where my parents became believers just before they adopted me, where I have discovered that I love the mystery of not knowing how I'm going to turn out because I don't know my parents. But I also realize that I don't like mysteries. I don't enjoy being told that there's an end and I have to hit that end. That's kind of how I've approached my life. It's like, let's just see what the next thing is. I grew up mostly in Terre Haute, Indiana, 
went to school at Indiana State University, got my undergrad degree in interior design there, my master's at Ball State in interior design. And I mainly jumped back into that because when I graduated in 83, they weren't doing AutoCAD yet. I mean, the computers were giant at that time and weighed 100 pounds, and they thought the, the computer that was going to take over the world would, you know, occupy acres of land. Quite a bit has changed since then, and so I decided to go back to school just so I could understand some of the update in software. It was at that time that I started teaching at Indiana Wesleyan as an adjunct from an invitation uh, by a professor. And from my adjustment with Indiana Wesleyan moving from interior design to design for social impact, I went to get my MFA at Radford University, where um, I got an MFA in design thinking. So I'm just curious for you, when was the first point in your life where you actually noticed design or maybe noticed the impact of design? Mm. As a child, I noticed the impact of design on myself. Now, as a child, you know, I'm pretty, I was pretty self-focused, so that's what I noticed the most. And that's what drove me to want to go into interior design. But it really wasn't until I started teaching interior design and had to develop projects for students that I found that my passion for design with other people was ensuring that they could see how their design impacted others. So every project our students did in my classroom were with real clients so that they could experience not only having to design well for people, but understanding the nuances of the imperfections of people's requests and that it's not a linear process, that people aren't going to like what you present them, or you may not agree with them. You know, there are certain kinds of relationship elements that come into play with design that are just as critical as the design elements themselves. Hmm. So then when did you start to develop that passion then for actually wanting to do that yourself and wanting to design these spaces or elements, or when did that really spark a fire in you? I think when I got to actually do it. In school, you know, I would work hard on projects, but they would just sit in the portfolio. And at that point, it was still very aesthetic. But it really wasn't until people asked me to do something. And a lot of that had to do with just building up my own confidence that I could do something that people really actually helped enhance people's lives. So I think that insecurity of not knowing what difference my design would make in people's lives was a key factor. With regards to Using that design in the context of teaching, seeing how my influence in design and my understanding of the aesthetics of design could influence not only the client, but students. Because I really believe that design isn't just about the interiors or the placemaking or the graphic design. It's very much about how the person experiences stepping into that design, that it really is about the whole system. It isn't just about what we see visually. My mindset as I look at something is so key to whether I'm going to feel attached to it or not. With a lot of the artists that we've brought on, we're often talking about the fine line between following the rules and breaking the rules, whether that's in creativity, whether that's in just formatting, structure, anything like that. So how do you as a designer kind of wrestle with that where it's different than like painting or sculpture, where it's like no one's going to get hurt if you break the rules in painting or sculpture. But, you know, for interior design for something, you know, whether it's like an edge put somewhere or anything like that, how do you kind of find that balance between following the rules and breaking the rules? You know, one thing I found as I approached teaching was I thought the less guidelines I give the students the more creative they'll be. 
And what happened is I experienced the opposite because the students needed that framework of here are the rules. And then that way they could kind of push against, they knew what to push against. But if you don't have that framework, you don't really know if you're actually breaking them. You're just kind of going wild a little bit. And what happens is you get design that feels a bit disconnected and not user-friendly. It's really critical for a designer to gain that confidence in the rules themselves. And the rules are those things that are given from the outside, but you kind of have to own those things so that you feel confident in looking at those first and then pushing outside of those. Like those rules give you permission to break them, but you don't know that until you try and push against them. Yeah, that's really good. Why do you think it's important to teach design? And why do you think it's important to have intent behind design? First of all, I'll step back to the very basics and believe that we are all our designers. I believe God has created us all to design, not necessarily to be a professional designer, but because we are designed beings, we naturally are going to design. For instance, when I go into a classroom and sit down in the first row or the last row, I'm designing my experience in that classroom. Every decision I make is a design experience. So first of all, I think it's a way of helping people understand their God-given talent, their God-given way of seeing the world. And then I believe that the key part to teaching design is just helping people learn how to see. Because our parents teach us how to see things by the rules they give us and the instruction they give us. You know, our teachers tell us how to see things and how to move through life. Design can help us see things in a new way. It also opens up lots of doors that we would not consider if we didn't understand that design is the element that can push us beyond what that door is opening us up to. So then for you personally, how did you get onto the track of becoming a designer? Like, was there certain degrees that were essential? Was it work that was essential? What kind of brought you to that Mm -hmm. spot? Well, I don't know why, but I always felt like I wanted to go into interior design. My parents didn't teach me anything about it. There was no program about it. Just I feel like it was just something I always wanted to do. So when I moved into my undergrad program and learned about the process, you know, what I didn't understand that is that interior design is about the life, safety, and welfare of people. And so while you're creating something beautiful, you're also creating a space that has to be safe for people. So there is a licensing program that you go through with interior design. It's a three-day, seven-hour day test, sort of like an architect goes through, and you are tested on building codes and design solutions, bathroom design, uh, lighting. You know, you're given all these technical problems that you have to solve. And so through each of those steps, I gained pride in the profession of design. Interior designers, historically, because it's a fairly new profession, has always had to defend their profession because people think of us as decorators. You know, I can choose that picture or the paint on the wall. Those things are the decorating side that kind of draws to it. But it's really the design side where you're doing the space planning and thinking about how the lighting hits a certain space so it's not only functional, but layers the element of the space there's something happening that you don't really understand. Like, for instance, the lighting. You know, you always want to create three layers of light, that general light, that task light, and then that sparkle, that thing that kind of seems to add that special element to the space. So if you take principles like that, which I love, it's like once I learn that, it's like, okay, of course I would do that. So every time I work with a client, you know, I think about that layer of light and have to argue for 
the importance of it because we want to just put a light in the middle of the room. Kind of looking at another aspect of your career, going into a bit about Marion Design Co. So you co-founded that in 2016. So what was kind of the idea and intent behind that? And how have you seen that grow and evolve? Mm. I feel like the launch of Marion Design Co. was a collision of everything, at least for my own personal career, but so many other people at that moment, because it was a collaboration. I had longed for so long to have peers that I could collaborate with on a big project like that. So my friends, Herb Peterson and Luke Ansbach worked together with me on that project. It also was a part of my MFA thesis. So I got to kind of look at it from the research side of it. And then it was a chance to bring in students who wanted to be there. We had 17 students volunteer to be a part of us for the summer. They weren't getting paid. They didn't have housing. There was no answer to them other than them just wanting to be a part of it. And seeing God step into those faith risks and answering all that was a key part to the importance of Mary Design Co. for me at the beginning. I thought it'd be a one summer project. And at the end, we'd give the city their logo and their brand and, and all that kind of thing. But fortunately, you know, good things continue. And so we worked with the university for several years, kind of very scrappy in many scrappy ways. And lots of people stepped in to help us through that process to keep us sustainable. And we kept doing projects in the city. One particular class project, we took the placemaking class, color theory, and a basic design class. And we approached eight different storefront owners in the city downtown that were kind of either run down or they had just purchased it or... I was just blighted in some way and asked, would they give each team $400 to just create some kind of temporary facade in the building that would last about three months to just kind of spark revitalization downtown? So seven of the eight agreed, and the students took the next two, three months and built some temporary things made out of cardboard and leftover billboard vinyl and things like that and built sculptures in the windows and vinyl and stuff, you know, created some really unique spaces. As a result of that, every one of those facades, either they moved toward revitalizing it, like uh, renovating the space, or someone new purchased a building. So the students got to see immediate results, which is what I love about doing design work here in Marion, because you get to see things happen right away. And so the students, you know, their confidence just grew as a result of that. So why then particularly for Marion? Like, why not just say general design companies? And I know you do a lot of work for the city, for businesses in the city. So what draws you to doing this work for Marion? It's hard. <laughs> and honestly, that is a part of what draws me to it. And it is very visible. So you see results instantly. So by hard, what I mean is, you know, we look at other communities like Carmel or those that look like they're flourishing. And we go, oh, Look how much they're doing. It must be so easy and so fast and so much money. And we're sitting in the middle of not feeling like we have much money and it feels like it's taking forever. But it's in the midst of that that you have to find out from those communities that it took just as long, if not longer. And they had to work through the same issues. So we just happen to be on this end of the challenge in that it has been a long time that the city has struggled through blight and through lack of growth, and through some stuck moments. But we are at a moment where we're seeing some energy happen. 
So just um, the difficulty of it is a challenge, which means that we have to build relationships where relationships weren't, didn't exist before, or are in really hard places. And I honestly like the challenge of, of that, building bridges between people. That's really awesome. So then if there's someone listening in today who is wanting to go into any aspect of design, what advice or maybe piece of encouragement would you give to them? I think the first thing is to know exactly why you want to do it. It's not any more or less valuable if it has nothing to do with social design or something that's going to change your community. Because when you make a selection in a living room of a sofa for a family who's just trying to pick out a sofa, you're selecting something where they're going to sit on that sofa with their teenage son and pray over a girlfriend issue, or they're going to sit at that kitchen table and make memories with their kids drawing in the coloring book. So I think understanding the why of the impact of what you're doing, because it influences people and the way they live their lives. I think that's a wonderful way to wrap up this episode. Wendy, thank you so much for being on today. Is there somewhere where people can go to find your work or maybe contact you for your work? Sure. We have a website, MarionDesign.co. There's no M at the end. So MarionDesign.co. And you can reach me at Wendy at MarionDesign.co. And then we also have Instagram and Facebook pages. Perfect. We'll make sure to put links to those in our show notes. Again, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you, Connor. Simply Why is brought to you by Indiana Wesleyan University. IWU is a nationally renowned, Christ-centered academic community dedicated to providing leading, innovative education opportunities for students of all ages, backgrounds, and life stages. To learn more about IWU's online, on-site, and hybrid programs, visit indwes.edu. And make sure to follow us on social media as well. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.